You are listening to a podcast from Vineyard Church of Augusta. For more information, visit vineyardaugusta.org. All right, let's be honest. How many of you read ahead and really thought about whether or not you wanted to come today? Okay. <clears throat> I'm up here, and that happened for me. When, when Reese first reached out to me and asked me if I would take this one, I just automatically said yes. And then I went and read what I was supposed to preach on. <laughs> and I sent Reese a text. I said, so the old Marine gets to preach on sexual impurity, <laughs> vulgarity, and coarse language. And his immediate response was, perfect. (laughs) This is a tough series of of verses, let's be honest. Uh, You can't read this and, and, and be part of the culture today and not go, ouch, a little bit. We're calling this the call to be different. And in our culture today, that's a tough call. It is instinct for us to want to blend in, to be accepted in our groups. And in these verses, Paul really, really pokes that one hard. Paul's letter has several themes. You know, we've talked a lot about Christian unity as the key theme for Ephesians. But there's also some themes of conduct, identity. And this is a place where we kind of make that turn and Paul starts really hitting the issue of conduct and how it reflects the identity we're actually walking in. And that's what makes this series of verses challenging in the church today, any church, any church of any denomination faces these challenges in our culture today. So if you were a little anxious about coming today, I will try to make it as, I'm not going to use the word easy because Paul didn't make it easy, but I am going to try to make it inviting and I'm going to try to make it something that causes you to go, Lord, yes. So as I prepare to step into this talk, Holy Spirit, come. Open hearts, open minds, and prepare the ground of our own spirits to hear your words of life and your invitation to step into the culture that Jesus brought to the face of this earth so long ago. Ephesians 5-1. I use the Passion Translation for most of my reading. There's also going to be some comments that go to a couple of other translations. Commit yourselves to becoming more like God and copy Him in everything you do, for then you will represent your Father as His beloved sons and daughters. Now, in the NIV, 
Instead of the word copy, it uses the phrase be imitators of. Who do we imitate in our life? Who are the figures in our life that, that we just kind of naturally begin to sort of fit into the way they talk and the way they act and the way they see things. The Greek word used for copy is actually mimites. And it, talks, it portrays an actor playing a role. What role are we living out? When, when people interact with us, when we're acting out our life role, what are they feeling? What are they sensing? God wants us to be so filled with his thoughts, his love, his character, and the actions that Jesus showed us that people can see a family resemblance. Now, let's be real. For a big chunk of my life, that just didn't happen. I'm not sure what people saw, but it certainly wasn't God the Father. Uh, I, I blended into the culture I chose to be part of. And, and the language of that culture, the, the conduct of that culture, that's what I did. I became like what I held the highest value for. And at the age of 12, that was to be a Marine. And at 17, I went there. And I stayed there for 23 years. And, and there is not one thing that Paul calls out in these passages. Yes, I did. Every one of them. Multiple times. Perfectly comfortable in it. Because I wanted to fit in. I wanted to be accepted. God challenges us in the place of where we want to be accepted, where we want to fit in. Are we portraying the family of God when we interact with people in the world? Is that what they see? Is that what they feel? How many of you have seen the commercial that's out there right now? And, and it's got a guy that looks a lot like the, uh, the Facebook founder. And he's, he's talking about the, the new meta platform. And he's looking over people's shoulders as they're doing things. Everything you say, I'll be watching you. <laughs> Everything you do, I'll be watching you. The culture out there, that's exactly what's happening. Everything we say, everything we do, when we say that we are followers of Christ, they are evaluating. They are watching. 
What are they seeing? What do they feel when they're around us? Ephesians 5.2, Paul continues with, and continue to walk surrendered to the extravagant love of Christ. For he surrendered his life as a sacrifice for us. His great love for us was pleasing to God, like an aroma of adoration, a sweet healing fragrance in heaven and earth. One of the reasons I like the Passion Translation is this kind of language that the writer uses. He's an Aramaic, ancient Hebrew text, PhD. And the feel of the Aramaic is different. Now, my heart would not have responded to that in my young days. But by the grace of God and multiple encounters with Jesus, uh, that language speaks to me now. A sweet healing fragrance in heaven and earth. The NIV renders the word fragrance as a fragrant offering. And the Aramaic word used there can be translated as a healing balm. Uh, The work of Jesus on the cross was a healing balm that separated, brought into a place where there had been separation, brought healing into the division that sin had brought between earth and heaven, man and God, okay? How many of us actually look at the cross and think of a sweet fragrance, okay? That was radical language when I first read it. But then the more I became familiar with the heart, the more I understood that language. Have we surrendered in the way that Christ surrendered? His passionate desire that the people of the earth could be reconnected to the heart of the Father was what was behind his decision to say yes. When I'm out there walking around, when you're out there walking around and just doing the things of everyday life, what does it smell like to them? Yeah, it's kind of harsh language, yes. But when I'm interacting, when you're interacting with people, There's actually something of a a fragrance that we're supposed to carry into a broken world.
We're supposed to have an impact. We're not just called to fit in. Ephesians 5.3. Here's where he turns the corner and gets real personal. And have nothing to do with sexual immorality, lust, or greed. For you are his holy ones, and let no one be able to accuse you of them in any form. Wow. That's pretty direct. And the first time I read those passages, I was like, But Lord, I did all of those things. I was guilty of every one of those things. And yet you loved me enough to reach out to me. You loved me enough to give me a second chance. Even in my guilt, you could love me. I don't know how much attention you're paying to the society and the culture around us right now, but I don't think you could walk any street in America right now without brushing up against all of that. It's incredibly accepted as common now. And we're going to run into it everywhere we go. Is it affecting us or are we affecting it? Because one or the other is going to happen. In my youth, I let it affect me. My desire to fit in, I, I had to be accepted by all of the people that I wanted to be accepted by, and they were doing all that stuff. So I'll do all that stuff with them. Any of you who have kids, God, they face this pressure in ways that we may have forgotten. They are surrounded by it. They are drowning in it. What example are we setting? Paul's going to go on to explain a little bit of some of these terms he's using. And that doesn't make it any easier, trust me. Ephesians 5.4, guard your speech, forsake obscenities and worthless insults. They are nonsensical words that bring disgrace and are unnecessary. Instead, let worship fill your heart and spill out in your words as you remind each other of God's goodness. Now, the New King James Version uses filthiness, nor foolish talking, 
nor coarse jesting. That may be a little easier. No, it's not. Either one of them is just tough, okay? How common is obscene language in our culture today? You can't go anywhere without having it around you. It, it, it is English, okay? Now, let's be real. I knew all those words. Used all those words. Some of them in more than one language for many years. Okay? Uh, grace. Grace, grace, grace. Okay? When, when I met the one who can change everything, those are no longer natural words for me. Do I still know them? Of course. You don't unknow un things you've known. But they're not sprinkled into my speech like raindrops anymore. Okay. Worthless insults. Think about just everyday conversations. Sometimes in a tone of joking. But instead of building up, they tear down. Instead of speaking life, they're speaking darkness. And they're really not accomplishing anything. I don't have to, I don't have to like someone, but I definitely am not supposed to be constantly cutting them with my words, constantly tearing down instead of building up. Because no matter how far they're down in the dirt, they're still made in the image of God. And I have to remember that. And I have to speak to that truth, not the truth that's right in front of my eyes. Course jesting can be defined as the use of foul language, sexual innuendo, or rude or racist comments in an attempt to get a laugh. How common is it out there in our culture to use the kind of language aimed at a group or a thought process or an individual when we're in the midst of our own circle and they're out of our circle? And because we want to look good in our circle, we just automatically reach out and cut down their circle. Stop, for the love of God, stop. Because those types of interactions steal 
the power of life out of the words you want to use in the good moments. That type of just normal being who I am and talking the way I normally talk, if I'm going in that direction, I am not living life the way that I was called to live life. And not only that, I am not being an image of what is called the new life in Christ. The old me had to die just as he had to die. And unfortunately, for most of us, that is not an instantaneous process. It happens over time. But it does require that we make the choice that I will no longer live and talk the way I used to live and talk. Because it's the desire of my heart that when people interact with me, they walk away going, what is it about that guy? What felt... Something felt different when I was there. And that should be the same for every Christian. It's hard to have a conversation anywhere, in private or public these days, without running in to the use of foul language, sexual innuendo, rude and racist comments. That is just the place where our culture has fallen to. And too often, we just let it go. If we're not willing to take a stand, who will? If we're not willing to be different, who will? I still at times, because I hang out with some weird people at times, I, I still at times have to remind myself when I'm going into a conversation, remember, think before you speak. Okay. I suspect the same is true for most of you. We don't always hang around with perfect people because there aren't any out there. Paul is pointing out something here that we need to see. When we interact with folks out there in the world, it's not just us they're seeing. It's not just us they're hearing. They look at us and they listen to us and they're evaluating the value of Jesus at the same time. Now that can be a huge burden to try to bear. Because in and of myself, I can't handle that. But by the grace of God and the sacrifice of Jesus, we have a friend. And unfortunately, a whole lot of church hasn't really developed that friendship very well. But Holy Spirit is here with you 
to encourage you, to give you that little pullback every now and then. Okay? We each and every one of us need to learn more and more how do I build this relationship with the Spirit of God in me? How do I tune in to His voice in all of my interactions? How do I have that heart check connection everywhere I go, every conversation I get in? That doesn't mean the conversations have to be easy, but they do have to have, to have the purpose of life-giving Interaction somewhere along the way. And that's why he came. That's why he's here. And I encourage you to build that relationship. Most of what I do here is with the School of Kingdom Ministry. And one of the key things we continue to constantly press there is helping each person coming through develop that place of conversational relationship with Holy Spirit in them. Because from that place, their ability to impact the lives and the world around them just gets better and better and better. Harsh language, tough, tough language but it came from the heart. Paul laid out a huge challenge here to the church at Ephesus and the surrounding churches in that region of Asia. Remember, these were very new churches and they're in a culture incredibly combative to everything they were espousing. Wait a minute. That's kind of familiar even here today, isn't it? Kind of like the culture I'm living in and you're living in. It's a little more dramatic in Paul's time. You could get killed. Bear in mind as we talk a little bit further where Paul is when he's writing this letter. He's in an area of Turkey. And he's in a region that is governed by the worship of fallen gods. They were once angels of heaven. They were once themselves as creations of God, servants of God. But they, like us, fell from that relationship. And humans being what humans are, We made them gods all over again. Okay? And, and even today, even as it was at Ephesus in that day, we created forms of worship to make them happy and please them and, and maybe get something out of it for ourselves. Ephesians 5 5. This gets even harder. This one is a passage that some of the younger people I've known over the years get really upset about. 
For it has been made clear to you already that the kingdom of God cannot be accessed by anyone who is guilty of sexual sin or who is impure or greedy. For greed is the essence of idolatry. How could they expect to have an inheritance in Christ's kingdom while doing these things? I could easily name 10 people who this passage sets them off. But Jesus, uh, God wouldn't be that condemning. There's, there's all kinds of excuses that come to mind. Okay? But the reality is right there. And and for those folks who, who want to use the argument, well, well, Paul was still recovering from being a Pharisee at this point in time. Uh, turn to the end of your Bible, in particular if you have words in red. The last words coming out of Jesus' mouth are a whole lot like that. Some things you just can't sugarcoat. This letter from Paul, while he's in prison, is going to this group of churches in this region of Turkey. And these are very new Christian communities. And they are living in the midst of a culture deeply rooted into the worship of the goddess Artemis who was also known as Diana in the Roman pantheon of gods and goddesses. Artemis was a goddess of fertility. And, and that word had a lot of meaning in, in those days, which part of that relates back to Paul's admonition about greed. Okay. But the worship practices of Artemis were brutal. Not only were the worship practices carried out in her temple filled with sexual activities, but they also involved the flogging of young male children, often to the point of death. And they called this worship. This was the atmosphere that these churches were taking root in. This was the norm in their culture, and they were countercultural. Well, that sounds like familiar language, doesn't it? Look at the culture in this very country. Look at some of the things that the media, our entertainment world, are selling us. Now they haven't slapped any particular name there and called it worship. But don't 
be deceived. This kind of stuff is happening in our own nation right now. Huge amounts of money. Huge amounts of power. And although it doesn't have Artemis as a point of worship, it's the same thing, folks. This is the atmosphere that Paul is sending this letter into. This is the atmosphere that these young churches are facing every day. This is the culture they were called to stand firm against and to live in such a way that they could become agents of change in that culture. That commission has not changed from then until now. And if you call yourself a Christian, please open your eyes to the culture that you're surrounded by. And please understand that the call on your life is to be different. These churches were the classic example of counterculture. And we are called to be counterculture today in our sphere of influence. Is that easy? No, it's not. There's people who will reject you. There's people who are going to talk bad about you. I've lost friends along the way. But somewhere along the way, I made a choice. It's nice to be liked. But the love of the one that I follow is far more important to me than being liked by the people who really don't have an impact on whether I go to heaven or not. And so there's times that this culture and the people who love this culture are going to be offended by me. And I hope someday you'll say the same thing. Okay? I'm not... I'm not called to make them comfortable in their chosen path. I'm called to be that fragrance that something in them responds to to get them to ask the question, what is it about you? Why are you different? And that's where evangelism starts. It's not standing on the street corner waving tracts. Although, you know, a handful of people get saved that way. 
the great majority of the impact that we as Christians are going to have in this world is what people sense when they're around us. And that comes out of how deeply am I connected to the Spirit of God in me and am I making space for Him to leak out? That's what Paul was calling these churches to face. For us, we lose a friend here and there. And we might even lose a job here and there. For them, it could be death. And yet they responded. How do we respond? Is it easier to say nothing? Is it easier to blend in? Like I said, I've got all kinds of friends and some of them are a little bit on the potty mouth side here and there. Am I personally offended by that? Not really. Okay? That's their problem, not mine. But you know what I found over the years? The longer they hung around me, the cleaner their language got. And they didn't even know it was happening. Because I stuck to the one who I want to image. And we are all called to be image bearers. And what are you imaging? That's the challenge Paul is placing before those churches and the challenge that the scriptures place before us today. Who are you imaging? Ephesians 5, 6. Don't be fooled by those who speak their empty words and deceptive teachings telling you otherwise. This is what brings God's anger upon the rebellious. You know, you all have friends who talk about how they're deconstructing their faith. I do. It's not that uncommon language in our culture today. And, and I can understand some of their arguments. Heck, maybe there's a couple of things about structures that really do need to be looked at again. But the core things of our faith cannot be deconstructed. Sin is sin. And we can't redefine it based on what's most acceptable in any given group of people. The Bible defines what is sin, not culture. The world is filled right now with people who want to challenge the church on what we believe, what we stand for, because we make them uncomfortable. Do not allow somebody out there to cause you to doubt the foundational truths that Jesus gave his life for 
There are things that are right and there are things that are wrong. And no amount of cultural reconstruction or deconstruction or reconfiguration can change that. Ephesians 5, 7. Don't listen to them or live like them at all. Wow. We can see that as an absolute in-your-face challenge. Or we can see that as an invitation. A call from the heart of God. I think there's actually words to that effect somewhere out there in that book. Come apart from them. Come to me. In the image of little pieces of invitational language that are defining for us as individuals and those are the places we need to hang our hope those are the places we need to make our stand what does the world see when they see a Christian Some angry, shouting guy on a street corner. Or someone who looks a lot like them, but somehow they talk a little bit differently. There's something about the word flavor comes to mind. Taste and see and know. Let's do a flavor check, church, on our own lives. Because when we're out there, we want to be the flavor of the kingdom of heaven, not the reflection of the kingdom of this world. Here, I tried to make that easier than Paul did. Paul used some pretty tough language, all right? But he was talking to some people in a really hellish situation. We haven't quite got that far yet, but we're on the road. Uh, Wake up, church. Wake up. Check your flavor. Uh, The scriptures have a reference to two gardens. The front and the back. In the Garden of Eden, the first man made a bad choice. He wanted to fit in. He wanted to be accepted by his companion. And we all paid a dear price. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus made a different choice. Jesus said yes to the Father and opened the door for every single one of us to be reborn. Let's stand together.